right, here we go, jumping into our new series called Nope, and some of you guys, especially your first time guys, may be freaking out there for a little bit, uh, but uh, we're going to be talking about the Ten Commandments, and if you've been paying attention in media and culture, I'm absolutely getting the title off of the movie that came out this year called Nope, and I love, I haven't seen it, but it's a horror movie and I, or something like that, and I love the idea of just being like, nope, and I think when we think about the Ten Commandments, maybe we have a similar feeling or response. And so we're going to look back at this and dive in. Before I get too far into this, if you guys can help us out, we still have people coming into the service and we're getting full. And if you guys don't mind, this is totally disrupting, I'm sorry, but if you can move to your right this way, just to make room for people as they come in, especially this section over here, just help make room on the edges. That'd be great. That's good. You guys are amazing at following instructions. See, this is the practice of the Ten Commandments. We're learning to follow the rules, right? Okay. Um, man, so uh, we're going to be looking at the Ten Commandments, and just looking at that movie, it's from the 1950s, okay? Uh, we have Cotton Ball-Headed Moses, and uh, is that how it happened? You pretty, yeah, that's exactly it. No, just kidding. Uh, um, uh, it was an interesting uh, movie in its time and day, but what about, I mean, Ten Commandments, we all have some kind of thought about them, you've heard of them, whether you're religious or not, whether you believe in God or not, you've you're aware of what they are, or you've heard of them, and are they, are they really from God, or did just some really good religious person make them up, and they're like really, like they worked out well, or do we have to follow them, or are they relevant to us anymore from <clears throat> whenever they came to us, you know, like, are they really that important? Like, I, I think that maybe you, you may have questions like this, or, you know, what happens if we don't keep them, do is that when the lightning strikes, or do I go to hell, or you know what what happens? And, and and then like, why are they always shown on like stone tablets? Like, have you ever noticed that before? Like, if you search Ten Commandments, like they're almost always in the picture. It's like, is, is that is there a significance of that? You know, and or just God just kind of seems to be about the rules. And really, whatever you think about the Ten Commandments, you kind of think about God. And so, I just want to look into this, because this is interesting, right? So yes, the Ten Commandments are a significant part of God's story with us, and it's really one of the more famous passages of Scripture. So I can answer one question. Why do we always see them etched in stone? Like, what's the reason for Well, it's actually how they receive them. Like, you find this in Exodus 31, 18. Uh, it says, when the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave, them the two t- he gave him two, the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. So God wrote them and he gave them to Moses. So this, we say, well, do you believe this? We believe we do. And it's not just some blind, crazy faith. We, we believe this on fact and, and history and, and all these things. It's an informed faith for us, and this is one of the things that we do believe. In fact, uh, God had to give it to Moses two times. So in this crazy video clip, he, she tells them, right, he, did, he did break them. Like soon after he got them. Have you ever, have you ever broken something of somebody else's <laughs> before? Like it's one thing to break your own thing, like the vase, you knock a vase over, that's like the, the stereotypical thing, but you know, you know, but but to break something, especially something valuable, someone else's, that was tough. I remember our, our family got to rent a cabin, uh, some people that we knew, 
uh, gave us the discounted rate to stay there for a week, and we were very thankful. And then, so we got to go a couple times, and every time, especially when our kids were little, our kids would break something. Every time we were there, we were like, oh, like, like thanks for letting us stay. We broke this. Like, there's some handmade wooden toy. Like, it was so you, you, a toy you couldn't find on Amazon or anything like that. And, like, they broke the handle. And I was like, oh, so I brought it home. I tried to repair it and, and the best I could. And you just, if there's the feeling of that. And uh, in, in the, in the, in the beginning of our church, we met at, a, at St. Anthony's High School before they closed down. And, and in their classrooms, uh, they would have a statue of Jesus. And, and we, our kids, kids in classes were in those rooms. And one time they're bringing in their kids' equipment, and they knocked over the statue, and it broke. We broke Jesus. And so we were like, oh, no. Like how ex- I was like, how expensive is this statue? It was, it was like 150 bucks to get. We found an exact replacement. There's a lot of them. And so uh, we, we, that, the teacher already didn't like us. We were like, oh, no. There's gonna go. Anyway. So, you know, but isn't that like oh, that, that feeling? And so Moses gets the tablets from God. We say that God wrote them himself, and then he breaks them. So he has to go to God, and God's like, because you broke them, I'm going to give you another pair. So that happened. Isn't that interesting? So the funny, interesting thing is neither Moses nor God ever called them commandments. Isn't that interesting that... Uh, Pastor Kevin DeYoung, who write, is writing on the Ten Commandments, he says the Hebrew expression used for them literally means ten words. And so they're often referred to in the Greek translations as the Decalogue. So Deca being Greek word for ten, and Logos meaning word. And so these are really like the ten words that God gave the Israelites at Mount Sinai. It did happen on a mountain. So all that to say, it's you know, the Ten Commandments have, have made a big impact on culture in some way or another. And even beyond those without a Judeo-Christian type of root or belief or denominational tie, whatever it may be. So we hear about them, we see references to them, and we could possibly name a couple of them. Or get really close, guessing. Probably get really close. And if you were to name them, my guess is you would, we would start with these three words. Thou shalt not, and you fill in the blank, right? Is that what we think? Like, you've heard that, right? Thou shalt not murder. Is that one of them? Or lie? We did with our team this morning. Cheat was one. Like, eat donuts. Is that on the list? Like, thou shalt not. It's not. We can eat donuts. So, like, great. So, um, but, you know, I think those, those three words really define how we view them and, and, and really how we view God. And where did those words come from? It was originally in, in Hebrew. So uh, in, in 1611, we got an English translation. There's been Greek translation and all these different things. Well, a significant English translation came out 400 years ago, and that's where we see thou shalt not, and we just kind of stuck with it. That's where that came. It's fascinating. And so those words, it's just so formal sounding. It's not in our normal language. It almost doesn't make sense. And so for the next five Sundays, I want us to look at this. I want to take our typical understanding of the Ten Commandments and really turn them on their head. And I want to, you know, if you have any kind of preconceived ideas about what they are, I want to encourage you to just kind of set that aside and really engage it anew. Because, surprise, they are still relevant. And they can impact our lives and bring great meaning 
if we allow them. And what I want to do, especially today as we start, I want to help us see this, the thread, this, the thread of God's story in our lives, in his story with us, and how he's still pursuing that story with us. As Christ followers, for those of us who are, who are followers of Christ, we now see them through a very different lens. And when we are able to grasp that, it can impact change in our lives. And so I hope that we can experience that coming out of these next five weeks. So let's begin the story. Let's engage this together. And if you've been with us before, over time, eventually I talk about God's his overall story from generation to generation with us. We see four main components. We see the creation and beauty that he made us to, to live in. He started with creation and beauty, and he made everything perfect. And there's something in us now that longs for that. We see that things are quite right, but you kind of know that there's something there that, that, that if, if this, this is not how it's supposed to be, and there's a way that it should. And sometimes we experience that, and we love it, and we wish everything could continue to be that way. Well, God made the world to be perfect and to be in, in beauty. And we can put these four things up here on the screen for everybody. But then we messed it up, and this is where it got broken. We have what we call the fall, where we walked away from God, and we, we walked away from life and love. And we didn't believe that he really wanted our, our best in mind. And, and to walk away from life, he, he's, he's the one who gives us life, and love is to walk away from both. And so death was entered into the world and destruction, and we, we feel the effects of that now. We see the incredible brokenness and pain in our world. And so we have the fall. But God didn't just leave us in that place. He, he pursued us. He stepped into our mess. And that story eventually led to redemption, the third part where Jesus came. And that's why we celebrate Jesus so much, because he came to redeem us, that we could be forgiven. We could be set free from that, from that brokenness. And then he's on this path. And the fourth thing is to be restored. That he is, in, in working in our lives as Christ followers, he is working to restore us. And one day he promises to fully restore us from this brokenness. And that brings incredible hope to our lives if we allow it. And so this is this big overarching story. And after the fall, in our mess, God began to engage. And he started this engagement with a man named Abraham. And, and, and he began to pursue him and he gave him a promise. And Abraham believed, and because of his faith, it says God credited it to him as righteousness. He, he, but he was not because of what he had done. It was all because of God. And God made a promise to us, and he promised that he would keep it because he knew that we couldn't. It was not dependent on, on us at all. And he made this promise that he was going to make Abraham into a great nation, and there would be an innumerable descendants, like outnumbering the stars. And Abraham believed, and like he and his wife Sarah were, were barren, and they were old, and yet God was faithful. And, we, and, Ab- and nobody disputes Abraham existed, and we can trace and see that lineage, and it's, and it's still happening today. That promise of God has, has come fulfilled, and it's one of the reasons why we believe, and we know that he exists. And so through his descendants, eventually, <clears throat> one of his heirs was a, a, a man named Joseph. And not the Mary and Joseph, the Christmas story that you know, another Joseph. And Joseph had many brothers, and, he, and God had gifted him, and he had given the ability to interpret dreams. And God had a plan and a purpose in Joseph's lives, but he was really cocky and prideful, and it pissed his brothers off. And so they eventually sold him into slavery. And he, he worked for a farmer, and then he was entrapped by someone, and he eventually put us in a jail in Egypt. It was in Egypt's kingdom, 
And he was there for a while with no explanation from God, but God was doing a work in his life. And one day, Pharaoh of Egypt was having these dreams, and he couldn't interpret them, but, but Joseph could. And Joseph interpreted his dreams, saying that there was going to be seven years of incredible fruit and, and a fertile land like you've never seen before, but there's going to be seven years of famine after that, and you need to prepare. And so he said, wow, I want you in charge. And he put Joseph suddenly rise to be second in command in all of Egypt, this incredible empire. And they prepared them for the famine. And so that's where the nation of Israel begins to exist. They move to this area where they have provision and they begin to flourish. It's like having babies left and right. That's literally what the, the scripture story is. We read it. Like the, the Egyptians were like, oh my goodness, this is happening too fast. They were trying to keep them from growing so big, and they're trying to get midwives to kill the babies, and they're like, they're having, they're having them too fast. We can't get there in time. Like literally, like they're so strong, it's crazy. And this is literally the story. And, and so they begin to be afraid and fear them, and so they plunge them into slavery. And they begin to exert control over them. And so this entire story that I just explained really quickly in a couple minutes there's a four, over a 400-year period of time that all of this took place. And they're crying out to God to free them from slavery. But they were there a long time, like, like several generations, and a huge part of that time was in slavery. That's all that they knew. They didn't know anybody that had ever been free. It had been so long. They knew the promises of God, but it seemed really distant. And in that time, God began to step in and answer their prayers, and he called Moses to lead them. And Moses was not like that. And we saw he was afraid. He was begging God not to use him, like really begging God. He was weak. He stuttered. But God wanted to use him to show that it was him doing the work, that he wants to use us in our weakest. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and and he says, let my people go, and they didn't want to do it, and Pharaoh's hard-hearted, and then they all got to see God work. The pagans and those who believed in God, God began to send plagues, and there was no doubt that God was, was working, and they were stubborn against him, and the plagues got so bad, they eventually were like, please leave. Please leave. And so they did. They, they left, they crossed the Red Sea, and they're free. Like, they're free from slavery after like a, a, hundreds of years, and then it's like, wow, we're free. We're, we're really free. Now what? Like, they didn't know how to be free, right? They did. It was in this context, they wandered through the wilderness to Mount Sinai, and it was there that God gave them the Ten Commandments. All right, so here they are. God leads Moses to the mountain. There's smoke encompassing the top of it. They could see it, kind of in leading them visibly. And it says this is found in Exodus 20. Here we go. I've, I've numbered them so we could see as we walk through God's, God's words to Moses here. You can see all ten just for those keeping score, right? So it says, and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Which would say, yeah. We're with you. It says, you shall have no other gods before me. That's the number one. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, 
the Lord your God am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And so he says, you, if they had just done those first two, life would have been awesome. Like they, it, they wrought so much destruction in, in just that alone. He was calling them to the one true God who was eternal. So yeah, so he continues. He says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Maybe you've heard, take the Lord, name of the Lord in vain. You've heard it said in that way. That, he says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. For the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Taking a day off. And then he gives them instructions. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, which they were really good at. They knew how to do that. He says, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. They didn't know how to be free. They were, he's like, you need to take a day off. He says, honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that your Lord God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. Man, if we could just get this one right, we'd, the world would be a lot better shape. We lie, we, yeah, that was a hard one to do, by the way. And then the last, number 10, you shall not covet. But then he gets really specific. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. That one's very relevant to us, by the way. There are the Ten Commandments. It's interesting, the context and the story of which they are given Growing up, I, my family, we had a dog, and, and we learned how the dog needs good boundaries, and it, it, it helps the dog feel safe. I remember we, she, she had this really cool house, and she lived outside, and so she had a dog house. And, but when it got really cold, we'd bring her in, and we, one winter we brought her into this, uh, this room. It was, it was a pretty big room, but it's where we kept like, all the storage things, so there's Christmas decorations in there and other like, random stuff, tools and everything. And, we brought her a big giant pillow in that she loved, and then so we left her there. But it was too much freedom and space for her, and she freaked out. You know what to do. And the next time we go in there, it's just trash. And she got into all the Christmas boxes and destroyed all the Christmas stuff, all the ornaments, like heirlooms from, from decades ago, like things that were very personal and precious to us, like all absolutely destroyed. Like she couldn't handle that, that much space and time without anything really to do, and she needed stronger boundaries she wasn't actually free isn't that interesting and we are kind of the same way in our own way so here's what i think we think somewhere inside as we think, think about this story and god's in, in, in pursuit of us we he's okay he freed them from slavery he freed his people from slavery and then he leads them out of that, and then he gives them a bunch of rules to unfree them again. 
Is that really what God did? Is that what he was doing? It does say you shall, you don't, you shall not do this. And we need to remember and know that God was establishing a relationship with them already. Really, he was restarting a relationship. He was engaging them, and we broke it. We walked away from him, and we brought all this mess and destruction, and he was leading, and he was engaging them. And so the, really, the problem lies with us. and What we think brings us to freedom. And so to kind of help us be on the same page, like the whole premise of a command or a rule is really two things. One is it gives you something to do. So there's a positive action, right? So you need to worship God. It gives you something to do. And we can put this up, both of these there. But then it also keeps you from doing something else. Both of those things are at work. By doing one thing, you're not doing another. So you can't sleep with your neighbor's wife or covet their car, their skin color, their job, or their vacation, or their neighborhood, or their position. But these are the things we want. (laughs) It's keeping us from doing something. We want them even to our detriment. You want these things even to your detriment. You want to drink a lot. You want comfort. You want to lash out and yell at your coworkers or your boss. You just want to let them have it. You really want to tell them what you think. You do it at home, you get to work, and they're like, hey, how's it going? You think, <laughs> we all do this, that's funny. You, guys are... you think about adultery. Maybe you wish it could happen. You think about it. To your detriment. You want more money so you can spend it more on yourself. You want to binge watch until your eyes bleed. You'll wake up tired at work and you're not productive, but man, you just want the right. You want your kids to be quiet and you just want time by yourself and so much that you'll ignore your kids. You'll ignore what they're doing. Like, how could a parent be that selfish? We do it. We, you want new clothes, new cars. We want to live in a penthouse, and we want to be on the beach. And, and none of those, those things are necessarily bad in themselves, but we'll ruin our future to get them now. We'll go into bad debt. We'll, we'll sabotage ourselves emotionally. We'll make decisions that are just not good, and we know it, but we still do it anyway. Are we really free What's fascinating is while Moses is receiving all these commands from God, the people like, like forgot he was up there a long time. Listen to this, Exodus 32.1. He was up there a long time. We read in Exodus 20, and now we're at 32.1, and Moses is still on the mountain. And he listen, says, When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us God, make us God so make us a God who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, literally it's what they're saying. Yeah, thanks a lot. I confronted Pharaoh, and God was using me. Like, this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. They literally made an idol. They did make a golden calf. That did happen. And Moses came down 
and was not surprisingly pretty mad. <laughs> he did, that's when he broke the stone. So we think, well, that's just like, they, were, they just went back to the paganism they'd been around and the rituals and all these different things. But how could they, like they were visibly seeing God work. There was visible smoke in the mountain representing God. Like how in the world could they walk away that quickly? We were like, we would never do that if we saw that visibly. But we do. We do. Like in times of panic, impatience, hurt, when we're lonely, we're hungry, we're longing for things, we, we, we turn to our own idols, so to speak. We're chasing this lie that any of these things will fulfill us. That they're enough. It'll, it'll get me this thing. When I have that, I'll have everything that I need. And we, we chase that. We cross that mountain. We see the hill we were trying to get to. You know, it's just there's another one before. And, there's, and you're just constantly, somebody's doing it better. And you didn't have that. And then you, there's more at stake when you make more money and all these different things. We think that they're en- uh, enough. And really, the heart of this is, is that we don't believe God really loves us. He really wants us to have life. And we take his very creation, the incredible beauty he made us to experience, and we pursue it for our own purpose, what we think is going to make us happy. This is explained in Scripture in Romans 125. It says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Like he is the one who's really eternal, who made all of this beauty for us to experience it's from him and so we think we think we're free but all you and i have done and all we do is we've run back to slavery whatever it is we make the focus and point of our life it can't fulfill you and you'll keep chasing it you don't even sometimes realize you're doing it and you're it's controlling you and if you lose it the relationship ends you're you don't get the promotion, you lose your job, you're, you freak out because your whole life was in that. You lose followers, someone else starts doing it better on social media. You're not free. God didn't free his people up from slavery just to bind them up again. The Ten Commandments are not instructions on how to get out of Egypt. It was, they were rules for a free people to stay free. I don't set boundaries and rules for my kids because I have control issues. Where I get a kick out of some random hurdles and things I put in front of them. And watch them jump and run around and go through it. Like I, No, I set boundaries and rules because I, an absolute love and purpose. So they can be safe. They can be happy. Because I see them. I see their hearts. They run towards things that destroy them. They're going to run out in the street, but they're going to do that to their heart. They're going to... They're going to do things that destroy them, and, and I want them to be happy and secure. 
They know they're safe in the boundaries that they have, and they flourish because I love them. I don't come home from work and they go running. I <laughs> like, no, he's there. Like the, the rules are coming. Like, oh. after all these years, like they, we love to give each other a hug. We can't, we can't wait to see one another, right? Listen to these words from Christ. He says, this is found in Luke 11. He says, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead? Or if you ask for an egg, would give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Give them life, God in them. How much will he? He's like, listen, you get, your, your hearts are evil, you're broken, you're not perfect, and yet you know how to love your children. How much more will God in heaven come and pursue us? What if our understanding of God and rules and commands were off? What if he's pursuing our freedom? And just like he pursued that nation of Israel, he's pursuing you now. So that's what we're going to engage in this series. How we're going to learn to trust God and walk towards freedom. And so we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments. It's not just going to be about, like, every week we'll take a different one. It's five weeks, so some of you are doing the math, like, we do two a week. But now he hasn't gone through all of them today, so I don't know how that works. Like, so we're going, to <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to talk about them, absolutely. But we're going to learn to use them as a tool. We're going to engage the story of God and really understand that. And we're going to turn them on our head. Because they can inform us in a significant way. But to end our time here together today, I just want you to hear these words. I'm going to be reading out of the Psalms of just delight in, in, in the law, delight in God's pursuit of us, his words for us. So let's say there's the ten words, right? Let's just delight in his words. I'm going to start with Psalm 111. I'm just going to not read the whole thing. There's a couple different verses. And I'm not going to put these on the screen. I just want you to just listen to this. It says, Praise the Lord. I will thank the Lord with all my heart as I meet with his godly people. How amazing are the deeds of the Lord. All who delight in him should ponder them ponder the deeds of the Lord. I love it. Who delight in the Lord. Everything he does reveals his glory and majesty. His righteousness never fails. All he does is just and good, and his commandments are trustworthy. They are forever true, to be obeyed faithfully and with integrity. 
fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. All who obey his commandments will grow in wisdom. Praise him forever. Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. Psalm 37, 3 through 5. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. Psalm 119, 1 through 3. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. They do not compromise with evil, and they walk only in his path. Joyful. Delight, safe, wisdom. We're helped, we bear fruit, we're strong, we have roots. These are words. We have freedom, his pursuit of your freedom. I love that last. Anyway, you are invited into a story, God's pursuit of us, his pursuit of your freedom, joy, and delight. You should consider that he is the only one who can truly satisfy you to be all of this in your life. Do you believe that? Join me as we engage this together over the next several weeks. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for these incredible words, this incredible story. That's true. I pray that our hearts, for those of us who are considering and on this journey towards you, would, would, would begin to believe and take this journey to say, is this really true? Because if it is, it bears all of our consideration. I pray today for all of us, the things that are enslaving us and binding us up, and we just hold on to them, and sometimes we don't even know it. And we're anxious and we're fearful and all these things. I pray that we would learn to let those go. That it doesn't condemn us when we see them. But you're leading us to freedom. And I pray that we would experience that this year. We thank you for the hope and all these things. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.